Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and in addition to podcasting, I'm a leadership coach, a mastermind facilitator, a best-selling author, and a speaker. I love taking these nonprofit leadership topics on the road or into your Zoom room. If you need someone at your next conference or perhaps a workshop, check out my new speaking page at PattonMcDowell.com for more information. Now, I know you're going to enjoy this fantastic conversation with Lisa Cook, who is doing incredible work with individuals and organizations through her organization, which is called Get On Board Australia. Now, as the name implies, she's certainly helping our friends in that part of the world become more effective stewards of the not-for-profit missions they hope to serve. But she's also an expert in all things board governance, and her wisdom absolutely applies to you no matter where you are around the globe. Several things you'll take away from this episode. Number one, what does it take to be a really good board member? And what are you doing to prepare the next generation of leaders at your not-for-profit organization? What are the differences between being on a for-profit board and being on a not-for-profit board? How do they relate and how are they different? And finally, something I know you can relate to as a not-for-profit leader, what are some of the challenges you are facing as you deal with your board of directors? And maybe more importantly, what can you do about it? Well, Lisa and I unpack all of those topics and a few more, in fact. So make sure you listen all the way to the end where she references some great resource material that she has developed at Get On Board Australia. And, of course, more reason to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 176. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com, and you'll find all about the topics discussed in this episode, the resources Lisa and her colleagues at Get On Board Australia can provide, and, of course, other resources she and I discussed. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lisa Cook. Lisa, thank you for joining me on the path. It is a pleasure to be here, Patton. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this conversation because one of the key issues I have in conversations with a lot of nonprofit leaders is something related to their board of directors. Absolutely. You know, identifying them, uh, cultivating them, training them, engaging them. And you are all over this topic because that's mm-hmm. what you do. And yes, so sir. I wonder, you know, I know you work with board members in nonprofit as well as for profit across the gamut, but you've also had some great experience with nonprofits. So what is the main thing, I guess, an aspiring board member of a nonprofit needs to do to, to be ready for that? Mm, absolutely. And this is the same advice that I will give uh, anyone who's looking to get on a board right at that pointy beginning point of your board career, either you've come to the conclusion that you would like to get onto a board or someone has planted the seed in your mind that board service would be beneficial for you to do. And it's a very exciting decision to make. So well done for getting that far. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's two things that I then encourage anyone who's thinking about joining a board to, to work through. And the first one is why boards? And particularly for our conversation, why non-profit boards? And in Australia, we call them not-for-profits. So for your audience, for the purpose of today, we'll call them non-profits. And hopefully I, hopefully I remember that one. We can go so either why, way, but thank you. We can translate. Good. Yes, Very smart exactly. people here. So ask yourself, why boards? Why nonprofit boards? What is really driving that? And what I really don't want to hear as a response is that you want to be on a board so you can tell people you're on a board. That's not really the underlying driver that is beneficial for you to have. Right. There's got to be a more compelling reason for you to want to pursue boards because they they're not they're not glamorous they're not sexy sometimes they're not fun they're a lot of work they're a lot of energy it's a very serious undertaking and so 
approach it with that appreciation. So work through that. Why boards? Out of all the things you could be doing with your time and your energy, think that through. Secondary to that is really doing some homework and reflecting on do you really know what you're getting yourself into? So what I mean for that is understanding your, we'll call it the governance role. So your legal duties, responsibilities, obligations, things like that. There are laws that exist that sort of guide board members in any capacity. So for profit, not for profit. And they provide parameters around what you can do, how you can do it, how you're meant to do it. But there's also this organization-specific role that is unique to each organization, each nonprofit at a particular time as well, because that is dynamic. Both of these environments are dynamic. So not to complicate the matter, (laughs) you really want to know what you're getting yourself into. Go in with your eyes wide open. And not only so you understand what the role of board member actually is, but it also helps you to start to understand how best to position yourself for these particular board roles that you want to pursue. So it's beneficial for that purpose as well. And when you start to get, I guess, more narrowed in on a particular board or uh, particular industry, particular types of nonprofits, you'll start to understand what those expectations are of the board members. So things like how many meetings are we going to expect you to attend? How, what day of the week are they? How long do they go for? Uh, What are the expectations about being in person or doing it over Zoom? Like we're having our conversation today. Is it things like fundraising activities? Is it key stakeholder engagement? It's all of that other stuff that comes with being a board member that may not be obvious at first consideration. Yeah. And and Lisa, what's fantastic about those two points I'd like to underline is Mm -hmm. if if I'm a nonprofit leader, that's a great perspective to consider from their angle too. In other words, when I'm recruiting someone, are they motivated for the right reason? In other words, you're right. I've seen people that I think are just joining a board for their resume, you know, or their profile, as you put it. Yeah. And secondly, are we truly providing clear information about what's expected? Because I, I think a lot of nonprofit leaders recruit people and then tell them what's going to happen. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to avoid. Yeah, it's an issue that I see on all types of boards is this. Um, it it misses really being clear on those expectations from the board members. So what does the board and the organization need from its board members? And are we making sure that we're telling them that's what we need them to be doing so that when we ask them to do that thing, they don't, don't turn around and say, well, that wasn't part of the deal. Didn't tell me that, right. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that. I don't have capacity. And so I'm big on managing expectations and things like um, the organisation or the board putting together something like a position description for their board members. Indeed, I could not agree more. And, well, I want to unpack that and many other of your wonderful ideas. But I got to ask the question first. You're an Absolutely. expert on all things board and board related, board governance. How did you get into this work and why are you doing the kind of work you do now at Get On Board Australia? Yeah, well, I didn't choose the board life. The board life chose me, <laughs> is how I feel about it. Um, so, stepping way back, I always had the ambition as part of my sort of grander career plans of getting onto boards. And that was kind of like later on, 40s, 50s, you know, you sit kind of what the the typical board member is, certainly in Australia, they're older, they've had some experience, um, usually a bit of grey hair, just a bit older, a bit wiser. Um, And so I had kind of positioned boards in that part of my life. Uh, I am not 
at that part of my life. And I actually joined boards much earlier uh, in my career, if you want to call it that, uh, than even I expected. Um, but I did dabble in uh, not-for-profit boards or non-profit boards uh, in the sporting sector. So I started my board career uh, at a triathlon club. And then uh, when I moved to South Australia from New South Wales, transitioned that into soccer, football. Uh, so I joined the board of the club that I was playing for. Well, Lisa, can and I ask you, not to interrupt you, but why? So was it the sports kind of enthusiasm or why did you choose yeah. to join a board at that stage in your life? Yeah, well, I was, I have this, I don't know where it comes from, but I have this real interest uh, and what, to sort of shine the light on myself, yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. a competence in like business. I, I understand it very quickly, very easily. Um, and I enjoy playing in that space, the business of business, nice. if you want to think of it like that. So yep. I, I enjoy that. And so I feel like this is the best way that I can support an organisation that does, in in those sporting club instances, it was that does something for me. So I nice. was a member of the, the triathlon club. I was a member of the soccer club. And I thought, well, the best way for me to give back is to help these clubs run and run well and use their money eff efficiently, effectively, make sure they're well run, et cetera, et cetera, everything Excellent. that you sort of do from the right. board space. And so that drove me to put my hand up. And so I quickly became vice president of the triathlon club. Um, when I moved to South Australia, my involvement in the soccer club prompted one of the main club sponsors to approach me about joining the board of their organisation. And that was a local community bank, um, part of a national bank network that we have here. And so I joined the board of this community bank, which kind of served a philanthropic purpose, but it was an unlisted public company. So you okay. kind of had this competing uh sort of purpose uh, yeah, and role. Right. Yeah, it was it was quite an unusual environment. But that was the catalyst uh for me to clearly see that there was not really any kind of education or support mechanism out there in the marketplace that was supporting new board members. So people who were right at that beginning of their board career. There are organisations that support board members in understanding their role and their governance responsibilities, but they're quite um, cost prohibitive and positioned at a certain level, not really anything uh, where you're a volunteer board member and really trying to understand what the heck it is that you're doing in this new environment. Because as much as you can imagine what it's like, <laughs> in reality, once you get into that boardroom, it can become quite overwhelming. Did you have to figure it out basically on your own? And that kind of influenced your, I guess, where we're going with this, right? Yeah, yeah. And it did. Um, and I really, I saw it, I was kind of like, wow, there's not really anything here. I was lucky enough to get a grant. Um, so being involved by this stage, I was also on the board of another organization. This is the transition point in my board career where I went from board member and doer and, you know, everything all in one because right. you're in small sport clubs and things like that to organizations where you have staff okay. that do the day-to-day -day work. Right. Um, and that just changes everything. Um, it's really interesting. So that grant allowed me to go and do some sort of governance education. And from there, I was like, wow, there really needs to be something because that cohort that I came in with about 20 or 30 other people was saying the same thing that I was. Wow, I'd really love to do more around building my knowledge and understanding of being on a board, but this stuff is too expensive. Right. And so right. I thought, well, that's There's just where not you fair because... Yeah, I thought this is not fair because those organisations that are resource restricted 
the small things are the big things. And if anyone needs to understand and know about good governance, it's these people, yeah, yet they do. can't access it. And I was like, well, you know what? If it's not me, then who else? Why not? Let's give it a go. And so that really, um, that gr- created Get On Board Australia. And then since then, I've just been learning and growing through my own board experience, through working with boards, through working with board members about um, really how the best boards work, how to be an effective board member, all of that other kind of stuff. What does governance look like in action? So how do we take legislation is great, but it's a bit vague and it needs to be intentionally. Um, But how do we know that we're operating and doing things in line with that properly to the letter of the law and not doing things wrong um, in our context. Great point. And, and well, so for our listeners, of course, I'm going to encourage them to check out the show notes and, and mm-hmm. learn more about Get On Board Australia because it has wonderful resources. But for those listeners who don't know, Lisa, talk literally about what kind of things you do, services you provide through your organization. Yeah, absolutely. So in that whole um, push, what I call it uh, is democratizing governance, democratizing good corporate governance. I have a lot of free, freely available resources for anyone who, you know, that that's the, the kicker is you've got to have the desire to want to learn and get better. I can't teach you that you've got to have it or not. That's the, you know, it's my biggest stumbling block as you've probably experienced yourself. Exactly. So the website, the website has a time writing since 2014, I think. So a lot of stuff there. I've got my podcast, which is the Board Shorts podcast. I have my board talk community on Facebook. So I do a lot of things there, a monthly masterclass around different board and governance related topics. It's not as dry as it sounds. <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> they need to check it out. Yes. So they do. They'll see. Um, and I also do things like webinars and things like that, normally in conjunction with other organizations. And normally they're freely available as well. So those are your self-directed free resources that really all you need to invest is your time. That's fantastic. Well, so, at least a quick question. I mean, obviously you uh, have, have built around the Australian, in this case, we're talking about the not-for-profit sector, but a lot of these principles would apply to someone listening anywhere in the world. Is that fair? Absolutely. The The only differences are if I'm talking about specific legislation. Right, uh, right. But The interesting thing is with that is that whilst I'll talk about Australian legislation, there will obviously be a US or a UK or a New Zealand version that says very similar things. Right. So we all actually borrow off each other (laughs) and, um, you know, why reinvent the wheel, right? Exactly right. If it works, why not do it? So there are some differences. But when you think about it, um, a lot of people get focused on, the governance side. So what are our legal duties, obligations? And they are very important, but they will kind of naturally easily happen if you focus on and work on getting the most critical element of the boardroom sort of locked in. And that's the the social element, the interpersonal element, the people stuff. Right. right. The right. people stuff in the boardroom is always what will trip up a board. And so you've got to focus on that. You've got to work on how you work as a board in order to get the work done that you need to do. And that sounds a bit complicated. Well, no, but it, it, it makes a point. I mean, you help individuals through a lot of your programming and content, but you're also working with boards collectively, I guess. So, people bring you in to help with the overall board management? Absolutely. So that's the, you know, to come back to your early question about what I do, it's not just free stuff. I'd love to be able to do that. and But, (laughs) you know, free stuff doesn't pay the bills. Exactly. Um, So the next element to that is kind of like a guided self-paced element. And that's around the courses that I have online. And so for aspiring board members, I have break into the boardroom, which will step you through a process. 
uh, to help you to get into the boardroom. And secondary to that, once you are in the boardroom, is boardroom boot camp. And that is a course that gives you a comprehensive introduction to being a board member, being a director on a board. And yes, the legislation part of it, which is very small, is Australian-based, um, but the rest of the course, most of it, 90%, is going to be talking about all the other stuff that board members have to consider and think about and that they're involved in, risk management, strategy, crisis management, stakeholder engagement, all of that other stuff. How do you work together as a board? All of those things uh, that, that matter that make the difference, that make you a great board member. Yeah, fantastic. And then as as you were talking about working with the boards themselves, that's kind of the bespoke part of what I do. Uh, it's one-to-one support with aspiring or existing board members, and it's also customised workshops for boards. So I always like to have the conversation with the boards about what they're experiencing, why they're reaching out, why they want some education, what that is. And so normally a part of that is, them telling me what they want or need Um, but everyone has blind spots and then I tell them also what could be beneficial so here's what you might not know about that you probably need to um, or that would really help you so it's kind of the full spectrum. It's fantastic and again I just think it's a unique combination of skills and services that uh, at least in my awareness there there are certainly organizations that are encouraging better governance Mm -hmm. and better board engagement and stuff. Um, but if an individual, as you said earlier, I, I love your opening in terms of the first thing I need to ask myself, if I want to serve on a nonprofit board, uh, understand my motivation. And yep. so now you're telling me I need to get into your break into the boardroom course. But let me check that, though. That applies to nonprofit and for profit. That's a general board training, yeah. if you will. Okay. Yeah. I really don't see the process being any different right right yeah and then we'll talk about maybe some headlines as a, a yes and i think it well at least for our nonprofit friends it re- reminds them that that board service is just as important if not more important to Absolutely. the life of a nonprofit organization um are, are there some highlights you might share perhaps teasing our listeners to consider this course but what are some of those fundamentals that you've talked about maybe a little earlier but if, if I want to serve on a nonprofit, well, what are the things I need to know? Yeah. Um, well, definitely the break into the boardroom course, and even if I'm working with you one-to-one, is the same thing. We're going to go through those two questions. Why do you want to join a board? Yeah. Why nonprofit? Um, usually people have narrowed it down a little bit more from from the sort of this whole I just want to get on a board concept. They're, right, right. Thankfully. I think, but, you know, before you make the investment, you probably want to do a bit more thinking around that. Um, And then it's that, uh, do I know what I'm getting myself into? So break into the boardroom is going to step through those legal responsibilities. Of course, in Australia, from the Australian perspective, but it's a good prompting. Uh, I can't imagine in the States where you are, it would be very different from a governance Agreed. Director's duties kind of position. Um, so it's not a waste of time. It's useful. But we also go beyond that. So what are the other expectations? We're talking about time, uh, resources. What do you need to come to? It's all of these different things that you need to consider. And it's not just going to the board meeting, right? It's yeah. preparing for the board meeting. It's going to events. It's participating in fundraising activities. It's all of these different things um, that you need to be aware of that's going to need your time into it. It's just that's your job, okay? Once but, you become a board member, that's your job. And on that point, do you find most nonprofits have the the job description, if you will, the or is that your point that many of them don't, therefore yeah, the board member um, needs to help figure that out? Yeah, I I think in a general sense that, how boards, we'll call it, manage themselves is improving. There's okay. more information out there. Um, there's more awareness. Um, I, I feel like in in nonprofits, there's kind of this 
learned helplessness or acceptance that we can we have it's okay to have a lower standard from our board members because we don't pay them and I just don't buy into that I I feel like I feel like what you can sometimes get though is this cycle of mediocrity so you have board members that have probably been board members for quite a long time that are quite dominating uh in their role sometimes they'll be the president or the chair i'm not quite sure the terminology that you use for us it it, it can it depends on the constitution it'll be different for every organization president chair whatever it is if they have quite a dominating uh influence and they're quite mediocre anyone who's good or, or wants to improve is really fighting an uphill battle to improve that and so they opt out they I don't need to be here and I ain't getting paid anyway. So That's a why shame, am I though. wasting my time? Yeah. Right. You're losing good and people. Exactly. And so what happens is you you lose the good people, but who comes in is the mediocre people. Right. Right. Because they just jump in the stream and float along. They just go with the flow. And so you end up with this cycle of mediocrity happening where the, the nonprofit, they may not be failing, but they're certainly underperforming. They're not doing as well as they could if they had a really strong supportive board. And it's usually because of this small cohort, but a really dominating in that group environment that cause these effects. Yeah. It, so but if I can touch on that, because I sure. that's a that's a great concept. Uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's not a good outcome if we're in a cycle of mediocrity. Do you yeah. see boards, particularly on the nonprofit side, using any evaluation methods? Or is perhaps that's your point, that they're not really evaluating, therefore they're st- settling for mediocrity? Yes, probably both. I, I think, uh, and therein lies the irony with those kind of tools, right? It's normally the the more, um, I'm probably going to, eat my words in the future but the more <laughs> evolved boards right um that that are um we'll call them great board members are populated with great board members that understand the value in having that that self-reflection and that desire for improvement right it, it's Indeed. all about this desire if you th- i've had a chair tell me why do i need to have education i'm old i've already learned everything that i need to know and I was like, wow, yeah, if we're not that's going anywhere your attitude, yeah, right. you can't have that kind of attitude in a boardroom, particularly from the chair. I mean, imagine what kind of influence that has on their decisions, on how they do things. And so you've got to have this desire. I feel like board reviews, board performance reviews um, are a tool that can be very helpful I see them not used to their full potential right? Um, because I feel like oftentimes they're, they're introduced into the board to kind of force an action that everyone knew already needed to happen. So we need to get rid of an underperforming board member and we've known that for six months, but the chair's not doing anything. Oh, let's have a performance review. So now we have oh, a yeah. stick so that we can beat them with and say, sorry, the triumph the negative is negative connotation, right, to that. Exactly. Or you're doing it to um, create a crisis, to restructure the organisation or the business or something like that. Right. So I've seen it all. <laughs> so they can be useful. Um but I often find that if your board is populated with great board members, there's nothing you're going to find out from a performance review that you didn't already know. Because they're, right? they're, they're already to be reflective and so exactly. forth. Exactly. They're already very self-aware. I'm very aware of my performance and contribution in this board setting. Um, and I would imagine other people are as well. And I know that because we have the conversation regularly and things like that. Yeah, so that's perfect. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You mentioned several times, of course, the role in the nonprofit world, fundraising is always on the job description. In fact, I have some executive directors tell me, hey, that's the only reason I have my board of directors. But tell me the Australian perspective on 
the board's role in fundraising? How how intense is that expectation? Yeah, I it, it's probably very similar okay. to to what you experience in the states. Um and that's not surprising, right? We're we're not that different. I mean, our language, we speak the same language, <laughs> but we don't speak the same language right, sometimes. Right, right. But but there um there's certainly a lot of similarities with that. I feel for like my observation is that nonprofit boards in Australia, and this is probably like in the States, they're a mix of two groups of people on the same board usually. You've got these, um, do I want to call them token board members? Yeah, let's call them tokens. Yeah. <laughs> so the token might board be the members. Reality. Yeah. But they're there for an important purpose because they can open doors. They can get money. They can use their celebrityness to the greater good. That right. doesn't mean they don't have governance responsibilities because everyone does on the board, but they're given that board role because they need to be leveraged for that higher purpose. And as long as they're there knowing that that's the purpose and knowing that they also have this governance responsibility that they can't not do, I'm fine with that. I get that. You know, it's the nature of the beast. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Exactly. So, but what you also need and have are like we'll call them the actual proper board members who are there because of their expertise and skill set to govern the organisation. They will also help with fundraising, yeah, right. but they probably don't serve that same role as that, we'll call them the celebrity board member. Makes so sense. I don't know if that's what you experience. That's probably something that's more um, on larger, more sophisticated boards in nonprofit land, um, but it's certainly something that we see a lot of. Yeah, it's a good point. So yeah. in that larger setting, you, maybe you're going to reserve, in essence, a few seats for that celebrity board member, right? And you're willing yeah. maybe to forego some of the overall job description because we know, hey, that person can help generate funds. Yeah, and you don't want them to not not do their job as a board member. Right, that's a yeah, but delicate you know balance. That they're, yeah, you know that they're, they're, they're more there for their door-opening capabilities than you know corporate governance now well let me ask you this you work with people and like yourself and you know your journey is fascinating that you had an ambition to serve early in your career and did and you had it seems a an intentional progression from maybe a smaller volunteer organization to larger more staff driven more sophisticated larger do you find a lot of people come to you and say hey i'm serving on a nonprofit board i like it but I'd love to work on a nonprofit national level board or how does yeah, that work? Yeah, or a work? paid board. Well, yeah, I was going to say, that's the ultimate progression, I guess, that people come to you about. And it is, you, yeah. How do you advise it, them? <clears throat> we start very much at the same point. Is that why question? Yeah. Why do you right. want to be doing this? Right. Um, and probably at that point, Generally, you're going to be at a certain point in your professional career, so your day job, we'll call it. A right. lot of these volunteer board members, it's your night job. Right, So, right. So the people that are normally looking to now transition to uh, paid roles, more serious, uh, and I say more serious because they are larger, more complex organisations that are paying their board members. Yes. Um, they're usually at that point in their career where they're, they're, I want to call it transitioning to retirement, but they're not retiring. They're, they're starting to build this portfolio career. Is that a term that yes, you're familiar no, with? Yes, yeah. perfect sense. So they're looking for two or three paid boards. Um, so where do we go? So the ambition is slightly different, um, It, but it's not. Like it is, but it isn't. We we are looking to maintain some mental stimulation. We are looking to use our, our expertise that we've developed over our lifetime, usually, towards an organisation 
that serves a purpose and that could be for profit non-profit whatever but it's doing a thing that i'm at least interested in and passionate about and so a good example i had a client who was the chief executive of a large insurer uh, here in adelaide so an insurance organization and so when we were looking to as he was transitioning to retirement but didn't want to just switch off right right portfolio career where should you go okay there's this state board that deals with um i want to say something but not too much to give it away is related to um insurance and injury compensation and things like that so Understood. it was kind of what i call this low-hanging fruit where would a natural progression be what's looking for your expertise that would be easy to really position yourself for rather than needing to rely on your governance and board experience because we don't have that developed as yet um although as ceo he would have a lot of board experience in sure. that context but that's a different story <laughs> so where should we go let's position you for that and that was a paid role and he got it nice. so that's a good um, example so it's a very similar process that we went through with him that I go through with anyone that's reflected in that break into the boardroom course as well. You want to go through those questions. Why boards? Do I know what I'm getting myself into? Especially when he was positioning for government boards, you've just got this extra layer of bureaucracy <laughs> that you need to right. deal with, that you right. need to operate in. It's just part of your reality in that board context. Do you help and him research? I'm oh, sorry to interrupt, but okay. do you help? You ask those good questions yeah. and help someone identify the type of board service that might be a fit. Do you literally help kind of matchmake or research or you give them the guidance and then they go find those opportunities? Yeah. I like to, like I call it, I like to teach people to fish. Yeah, good. Because then you've got a process that you can replicate on your own. You, you don't need to be handheld through that um, and spending money to, to get on boards. I have this uh, consternation about pay to play in the board space. Yes. And I feel like it's exploited. Um, anytime you talk about boards and governance, people just put extra dollars on the end. And you don't that like kind that. of frustrates me. Right. Kind of frustrates me. Feels a bit um, disingenuous and right. not in the spirit of what we're trying to achieve yeah there's just uh, that so anyway back to my point yeah, about good then when you're working through that board journey it's very similar to what you've mapped out in your book too Patton um so you want to then uh in conjunction with choosing your board goal is also reflecting on what are you selling so what do you have to offer those boards and are they buying what you're selling Good point. So it's kind of this chicken and egg thing. It's like, yeah, you have an ambition to join these kind of boards, but when you look into it, when you start researching that, you're going to realize very quickly whether you have a skill set, a, a sort of personal brand that they want or a unique value proposition that they want. If not, you're really going to have to reevaluate where am I heading? What What's realistic for me? Is it realistic for me at this point in my career to go for that national nonprofit? It might be. It might not be. It really does depend on um, what what you're bringing to the table. <clears throat> so I feel like this falls into this uh, what you call sharpen your vision. Right. So right. boards is kind of like this big concept. But how can we narrow that down? And as you're narrowing that down, you're doing this constant self-reflection. What am I bringing to the table? Do they want what I'm selling? Kind Excellent. of thing. And you help, and then, don't you? I'm absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. No, you it's help very someone hard. Someone do that, right? I yes, mean... because it's very hard for us to see our own sort of excellence or brilliance yes, or right. superpower or whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> all the same sort of thing. So from there, you're going to map your journey like you talk about. So how right. how do I progress to this? Um, and sometimes people do start with this big board goal. So maybe you want to join like um, our stock exchange is called the ASX. So maybe you want something, the ASX top 100 eventually. So by the age of 50 or 60, I want to be joining the board of 
an ASX-listed organisation in the top 50 or top 100 or top 200, whatever it is. Right. How would I progress from that? So reverse engineer it or backcast it, however you describe that process, map your journey. Because like you said, that's going to throw up uh, what is the experience, what is the skill set, what is that expertise I need to develop to be well positioned for that. And not just experience and expertise, it's also your network. I mean, in the board space, the network economy Couldn't is agree strong. more. So sharpen your vision, map your journey, build your community, everything you lay out in your book, <laughs> I was like, that works for boards as well. That is music to my ears, as you imagine it would be. And um, But that's fantastic. And again, you're helping talented people find a good fit, a good spot to land. And it strikes me, though, again, uh, Lisa, that this helps nonprofit leaders identify people like that, right? I mean, Absolutely. I guess I'm, if we turn this around, um, I can yeah. identify, maybe a, do a better job of identifying. Or do you find, yeah. you know, from the nonprofit leader side, how this applies? Yeah. I find that boards oftentimes work with who do we want around the table rather than what do we need around the table? Interesting. Because once you get clear on the what, you can then do a really targeted search on who fits that profile. So a lot of times people are like, oh, we just need bodies, we need warm bodies, quick, get people, get people, we have work to do. And I feel like that's a bit of a cop-out because we come back to this whole, oh, because they're volunteers, we have to accept this lower standard because we're not paying. And I'm we're like, no, there's so many mediocrity. Great, there's, exactly. There's so many great people out there who want to build their board experience on top of wanting to help a good nonprofit that I just won't accept that excuse. It, it's just, it's an excuse because you're trying to be lazy and you don't want to do the work. But if you do the work on populating your board with great people, it's going to pay off in the longer term. I couldn't agree more. And and you're fulfilling your mission as a nonprofit, right? Your mission is to do good work and serve more people or whatever it is. And you owe it to that organization to get the best people. Absolutely. And part of the role of board member is stewardship. You're stewarding that organization through to its next iteration. A part of that is making sure the board is populated in a fashion that's going to sustain that organization to perform well over the long term. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. And all of this is wonderful advice that you are Mm -hmm. giving. Again, whether a listener is thinking on the board track or in the staff leadership side, it's so important that they embrace the things you're talking about because it's going to be a critical dynamic. Ultimately, in the nonprofit sector, of course, both sectors, I mean, the board's your boss. Yeah. And so you have to, on the staff side, play uh, with that dynamic. Um, Is there anything else? Yeah, I guess. Any other advice you would offer the nonprofit leader as it relates to the work you do? Hmm, the nonprofit leader. Uh, so, is this someone working with the board? Yeah, because well, for example, your great advice of you know having the job description, you know having clarity. I, yeah. You know, it, it struck me that when you said that. I was like, yeah. Do we interview board candidates to better understand motivation? And mm. so just nearly everything you said about making better board members, I'm thinking, wow, we should apply that to the staff side so they can be better as well. Absolutely. Um, It's not that different. I know people try and say boards are different because of these reasons. I just, I don't see that. Um, And my own experience tells me other things. But hey, we all have our governance philosophy (laughs) that we develop over time. Uh, And I encourage that because you need to reflect on on this and what your purpose is and things like that. Um, I am a a really big one around that expectation setting. So that, that also works from the board down to that key staff member that they have, whether it's that executive director, um, the CEO, whatever title they give that key person in the organisation, that relationship is really important as well and needs clear expectations set as well between the two. 
it really helps the board to understand what its purpose is at this point in time in this organisation because once you know that and you're clear on that, then you can work with the staff to reach towards that purpose, to fulfil that purpose, to make sure you're heading in that direction. Because oftentimes everyone's just floating around trying to do things and be busy and it gets a bit frustrating. We're not getting the right information. We're not getting enough information. It's coming late. We're just, you feel that sort of frenetic energy where you're busy but you're not really doing anything, that sort of taking it back to basics, what is the role of the board at this point in time? So in the next one to three years, what are we really trying to do and be as a board to support this organisation? So reflecting on the strategy of the organisations, a big part of that, and what are our governance roles? So it's what what do we need to be doing as a board? And then how can we inform and work with the staff to serve that? Excellent. Excellent. That could be a whole other different podcast on Indeed. its own. And this could be a, a, a episode number two that we'd have discussing this. <laughs> um, this is wonderful, Lisa. Thank you. You uh, address the key issues that I know our listeners appreciate and and, and you've done such a wonderful job of, of identifying issues in this board dynamic and doing something about it. I wonder, what what is the future for Get On Board Australia? Are there other issues you see that you'd like to tackle, or is it just simply doing more of the good work you're already doing? Yeah, I think definitely doing more. Um, I feel like I'm always, or I've for the last few years, sort of been going with one hand tied behind my back. I'm at university again, so I'm getting a Master of Business Law. To Congratulations, further, yes. Thank you. To further help with that work that I do with boards and, and sort of giving it a framework and a way of thinking um, from the legal perspective, but then how do we translate that into day-to-day actions as a board member to help more people, to help more boards, you know. I have the mission of raising the standard of governance across Australia, across the world, and part of that, you know, that is what drives all of the different things that I do. So from the free content to the bespoke stuff, it's all towards that outcome of just improving and, and knowledge Knowledge is power, as they say. Uh, so I also believe that knowledge is confidence, and confidence is a huge thing that we need in the boardroom, especially as individuals. And anything that can lift that, I think, is a really great thing. Wonderful. Good advice. And you're right. I think it applies on the staff side and the board side. And that's yeah. why these words of wisdom are most appreciated. If I can ask you for one parting gift, although I know you might have more than one, uh, you know this is coming. Um, mm-hmm. You and I share a passion for good books, and I yes. wonder if there have been some meaningful to you on your journey that you might share with our listeners. Absolutely. And the first one that popped into my mind, which I read way back in high school, <laughs> was, which is weird for a high school student, but, hey, that was me, uh, was... <laughs> How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. So the great classic itself um, is wonderful. And I recently read a a book that is worth reading as well, uh, which I think is a good modern follow-up to to what um, Dale Carnegie writes because he does mention that book. Um, And this is Plays Well with Others by Eric Barker, which is a great book as well. Um, And something... You know, so I'm I'm doing my third one now <laughs> is Fierce Conversations with Susan Scott uh, is, is a really uh, highly recommended. A lot of boards that I work with um, often will ask me for a book recommendation. I give them that one and so they buy a copy for every board member. And so that is a great book, not just for your personal life, but board life as well, life everywhere. So. Yeah. Because sometimes we have to have difficult conversations, don't we? And and exactly. many organizations, I think, avoid them. And I'm guessing this book do. would remind us that, no, we need to have sometimes fierce conversations. Absolutely. And we need to change our definition of conflict. Okay. A robust conversation is not conflict. Agreed. So 
we need to really think about that. And because we're not taught how to have these conversations, how to approach them, how to navigate through them, this book will do that. So hopefully it'll give you that confidence to have those conversations. Um, and the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get with it. Yeah, fantastic. Lisa, we'll yep. link up all of these in the Thank show you. notes related to this episode, uh, among other resources we've discussed. And most importantly, Lisa, where can people go to find out more about you and the great work you're doing. Absolutely. And thank you for that invitation. The website, getonboardaustralia.com.au. Facebook, search in the groups for the Board Talk community. And you'll find it there. The podcast is the Board Shorts podcast. Find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a few other different platforms and subscribe. I would love to have you as a listener. And on LinkedIn, you can find me as Lisa Cook. Wonderful. Lisa, thanks for all you're doing for the nonprofit community in particular and for joining me on the path. Absolutely. My pleasure, Patton. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lisa as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide you on your nonprofit professional journey and perhaps help your nonprofit board of directors be more effective. Don't forget about the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Lisa, Get On Board Australia, and especially all of the resources she and her team have developed. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll see the follow button that links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And if you like this one, click on the episodes button at the top of that page, and you can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes all time, or you can search by topic or guest name. Thanks, as always, for what you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path.